I love it that we can sing in all these different languages, and as we're going to see in a bit, uh, when we get to the end of Scripture, and we'll see a snapshot of this in a little bit, uh, we see all nations with all different languages praising the one true God. And we thank you, Evelyn, for teaching us those different languages. My name is Stephen Sharkey, uh, but when we get there, when we get there to that one big glorious end, our names aren't going to matter. The one name that will matter is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about diversity today, and uh, before we get going, we're going to watch a quick video that hopefully will clarify uh, just about everything you need to know. Uh, Does that clear it up for everybody? No questions about diversity? I didn't think so. Uh, For those of you uh, who aren't in the loop, uh, that's uh, from one of my favorite shows, The Office. It's on every Thursday night. If you're not watching it, you need to. It's pretty funny. Um, And as manager Michael Scott stated, today is Diversity Day. Um, Today we're going to be talking about one of our church's core values, the core value of diversity. And as it elaborates on our church website, uh, diversity for us is a celebration of multiculturalism. It is something that we pursue. We pursue becoming a, a church of the nations. And in such a community, conflict is normal, but reconciliation is intentional. Now, we'll get into all that in a few minutes, but uh, I want to be fair to those of you who uh, are just kind of jumping in midstream here. We're currently in the middle of a sermon series called Origins, where we have been exploring the defining characteristics that make new community the church that it is, the reason for why we do what we do. Six six summers ago, uh, this summer, Uh, I had the opportunity to be a part of a group of people who got together and we asked this question. We said, what would happen if, there go my notes, (laughs) what would happen if a generation of, thanks Michael, what would happen if a generation of believers gathered across racial, social, and cultural differences for one common purpose, to seek the heart of God and build relationships that will impact Chicago and then the world. Is it possible to be a church that models the New Testament church of the first century and have it impact a generation in the 21st century? Those were the questions that we were asking when we started this church. Could we really look like the church of the first century? You ask, what were those characteristics of that New Testament church? We find them in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was a church with theological depth. It was a church with intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Some of you are saying to yourselves, hey, the first century church sounds amazing. I like that. I like those characteristics. But today is diversity day. You said 
Today is Diversity Day. That's the name of the message. What was in that passage about diversity? It's there. It's there. And we're going to get there in a bit. So hang on to that question, those of you who are asking that, those of you who are curious, was there diversity in this first century church? Hold on to that question. These people came together with these characteristics and they changed their world for Jesus. And our conviction here at New Community is that lives and we, we might live and breathe the very characteristics of this first century church. When we started this church, we said, we want to be driven by those set of values. We want to make this a new kind of community. So we named ourselves New Community, and the rest is history. And today, uh, we have the opportunity to talk about diversity. And it could be easiest, easy for us to fall into the trap of understanding diversity from a human perspective. Diversity is socially acceptable. Diversity is politically correct. Diversity is en vogue. For crying out loud, diversity is the topic of an episode of my favorite TV show. But none of those things drive us as a church. We don't value diversity so that we can ride the wave of pop culture. We value diversity because God values diversity. Diversity is important to us because it's infinitely important to God. That's why we eagerly seek to become a church of the nations. So here's how I want to approach this today. We're not going to focus on one passage. We're not going to focus on one character in the Bible. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this word nations, this idea of nations, and we're going to start at the beginning of Scripture, and we're going to see what God has to say about the nations. And I hope that we can come to a clear understanding that God, from the very beginning, has been moving all of history towards this beautiful, multicultural, multi-language, multi-nation end where we're worshiping God. That's where God is moving us. It's always been in his perfect design. My goal is that we might grasp that significance. We might grasp the weight of how much God values diversity. That's what you're going to get today. We're going to do it with snapshots. There are six different snapshots that we'll look at in Scripture. And I'll tell you this much right now. The last one is amazing. The last one is beautiful. It's awesome. But before we get to this glorious, amazing end that we'll see in this last snapshot, we need to start at the ugly beginning. And that's where we get our first shot, snapshot today. God's design for the nations. Are you ready? Okay, this is going to be fast. Uh, it's going to be intense. So hang in there because we're kind of going to go boom, boom, boom through a lot of scripture passages, a lot of snapshots. So back at the beginning, snapshot number one. Nations were created by God. Nations were divided. We're going to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. This particular passage is called the Table of Nations. And we hardly ever talk about this passage, uh, but it's sandwiched in between two passages that we're probably more familiar with, Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. And just a brief refresher about Noah and the flood. God said, I'm fed up with these people. They are wicked. It says in scripture that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. So God decided, I'm going to start over and I'm going to use this one righteous man named Noah. Abbreviated version, Noah builds an ark. Uh, God fills the ark with uh, Noah, his family, and two of every kind of animal. God sends a flood, destroys all life on earth, and by God's grace, Noah and his family survive this flood. And that's where we find ourselves in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. 
Now, I could bore you to death with the details of this passage. Uh, It's a lot of who begat who and where they decided to live. It's kind of boring, but all you need to do to kind of get the thrust of where this passage is going, the entire chapter, look at the first verse, look at the last verse. Verse 1 says, This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. So we're starting off with three guys, and through the course of this passage, they begat a whole lot of people. And then we have nations. It says in verse 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descendants with their nations. From these, the nations spread out over all the earth. So for the first time in scripture, we have this clear mention of nations. And note here that the nations aren't together. Uh, Rather, the nations are spread out over all the earth. Chapter 11 gives us some more detail into this this business of the nations spreading out over the earth. Chapter 10, kind of big, broad view of the nations. Chapter 11, like a microscope, you know, kind of looking at what was happening with these groups of people that made them spread out over all the earth. It says in chapter 11, this is the Tower of Babel, maybe a familiar story to some of you. It says, Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Sinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, as a, If as one people speaking the same language, they begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible, impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages, so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why the, t- the city is called Babel because the Lord confused their languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Three times in this brief passage, we see this phrase, scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You say, wait a minute, preacher, the Lord scattered them over all the the earth? I thought God was about unity. I thought God was about bringing people together. You yourself said that all of history is moving towards this beautiful, multicultural end. And now we see that God is the one that divided and scattered the people in the first place? Hmm. Listen, uh, it's great that we can reflect on the beauty of our cultures and the mosaic of the different colors of people and the languages and the cultures that we have here. But we, as a people, as a church like ours, we need to first guard against romanticizing multiculturalism. Cultures don't exist in a vacuum. They're always changing. They are influenced by political and economic forces around them. In short, cultures, like everything on this earth, have been cosmically affected by sin. And in this case, we see that the very creation of languages, the very division of people and the creation of nations was a result of our own arrogance. To say, no God, uh, I'm not going to worship you, thank you very much. I'm going to worship me. God said, no. 
It was self-worship. It was idolatry that forced God's hand to divide us into different nations, different tribes, different languages, and scatter us across the whole earth. There's good news. There's good news. Thank God that our God is a God who redeems. And in a new community, we believe that. We believe that our God is a God who redeems all things. That God put into motion this restoration project that would set all things right. And praise God, we don't have to stay in chapter 11. We don't have to stay at the confusion and the hurt and the sin of the Tower of Babel. In the next chapter, we meet a man named Abraham. And you can't convince me that God didn't divinely inspire Scripture so that immediately after we see the division of nations, we see in the very next chapter God providing a way to bring those nations back together. Snapshot number two, God's perfect design for the nations. God says to this man, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, I will make you into a great nation, just one nation, The nation would be called Israel. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And look what it says in the last line. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. No sooner had God divided and spread out the peoples of the earth into nations and languages all over the the earth and he sets into motion the means for these people to come back together and be blessed through this one nation, the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 11, division, sin. Genesis chapter 12, the promise of blessing, the promise of unity. And we believe that it's through Jesus a descendant of Abraham, that this promise to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled. It's through Jesus Christ that the way has been made for all peoples, all nations, all languages to come together. And we see the prophets confirm this. Snapshot number three, Isaiah foresees the nations together. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 says, in that day, the root of Jesse, the root of Jesse is Jesus, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. God desires to see all nations come together. He has put in place a perfect design that would allow every nation, every tribe, every tongue, to come together and to rally to him, to rally to the name of Jesus. God put this message on the lips of the prophets. Look at the way Isaiah says the same idea in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. All nations will stream to the Lord's temple. The Lord's temple is multicultural. The Lord's temple is multi-ethnic. Look in this room. There are people from all kinds of different cultures. This is a glimpse, tiny glimpse, of what the Lord's temple will look like. All nations, all people. So let's see what Jesus has to say about the Lord's temple. In cha- in, this will be our, our snapshot number four. Six snapshots. We're moving along quick. You guys hanging in there? 
All right, all right. Uh, Snapshot number four, house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations. Look at what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Now Jesus has just come into Jerusalem, and uh, he's mad. Something's going on in the temple that he doesn't like. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is fired up. The nation of Israel has failed to be the blessing to all nations that it was supposed to be. He is calling the chief. He, he, he's, he's not mad at the people who are selling stuff. He, he's, he's more mad at the leaders of Israel. He's calling them out. He's calling out the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he calls the temple a den of robbers, not because people are selling stuff. He calls them thieves. He calls them robbers because the leaders of Israel have robbed the nations of the blessing that Israel should have been to them. It's the leaders of Israel, the nation that has robbed all the nations of the temple and the blessing that that temple should have been. It should have been a house of prayer for all nations. Things weren't going well, but know this. Know this, God will not be stopped. God has a perfect design, amen? He has a perfect design to bring people from all nations back together. And while the nation of Israel failed to bring the nations together, through Jesus Christ, who is the true Israel, the church would succeed. Yes, the church, the mission of the church is intimately tied to God's mission to bring all nations together. The mission of the church is a multicultural mission. Just look at the day that the church was born. Acts chapter 2, snapshot number 5. The first century church is a church of all nations. Remember, this is the same chapter we looked at earlier when we were saying, okay, what did this first community look like? We read that scripture from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Well, we're going back just a little bit. This is the beginning of that same chapter. And it says, this is the day the church was born. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one room. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The first time that God made all these different languages, it was to divide. And now we see God making way for all these different languages and the gospel message to be heard in all these different languages. Now it's to bring people together. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. 
And when these people heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked this. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed, they asked one another, what does this mean? People from every nation under heaven. That's how the church began. Every nation was there on the day of Pentecost. This is more than just strategic evangelism on God's part. Yes, God wanted these people to take this great, amazing new news and spread it out over all the earth. Yes, God wanted to do that. But before that, there's something more important here. It's a sign. It's a sign of what the church is supposed to be. All these nations gathered in one place is a sign of what the church is going to be. The church is a multicultural project. It's not one nation that has dibs on God. It's a people from all nations gathered before God. It's no small detail that when the church started, it was diverse. It was a multicultural body of people. You recall the passage from Acts chapter 2 that we read earlier. This beautiful description of what this early church community was. And we asked this question, what does that have to do with diversity? There's no mention here uh, of valuing diversity. Now when you put it into context, it makes a lot more sense. When we read these lines from verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Well, who's they? They is every nation under heaven that was there in Jerusalem. The people that are in this passage, in this glimpse of what the first church community looked like are from every nation under heaven. The first church was multicultural. Did you know that? The first church was multicultural. People of different ethnicities eating together, worshiping together, sharing everything. We have one more important snapshot that I want to look at this morning, and we're not going to go there yet, so... uh, so we don't need to put that up because I think there's something we need, to, we, we need to do for a moment. I think we need to pause and I think we need to get real and practical about what it means to do community in a multicultural church. About a year after we had planted new community, I, uh, I had been leading worship here at the church for basically every week since we had started the church. I had been nonstop, nonstop going, trying to build what, uh, desperately, trying to figure out what it meant to do worship in a multicultural community. And I left and I went on a road trip. 
I went to visit some friends out west. And when I got out there, I went to their church. I, I went to their worship. I enjoyed their worship. I went to small group Bible studies. And we watched The Bachelor together. We hung out together. And uh, it was amazing because uh, it had been the first time in a long time that I had been in an all-white community. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'm white. Um, and... And I'm very white. I come from a white family in white suburbs. And, uh, and it had been a long time since I had been in that place, since I remembered what it was like to be around people who looked just like me all the time. And it was great. You know, I, I loved it. I, I was making friends real fast. I was enjoying worship at the church. It was like the first time that I had just been in a rock and roll worship service. I was like, this is great. I'm loving this. Gee, I, I, yeah, it was, it was fine. It's, it's where I come from. It's what I love. I had a great time. And uh, I, I said to myself, I, I haven't connected with people this fast since we started a new community. What, what does that mean? I haven't worshipped like this since, since we started wor- worship at new community. And, and I'm the worship pastor. What did that mean? I think a lot of us have have gone back to our home churches and we've asked these same questions. Yes, we have tight relationships here. Yes, we have close relationships and new community that have been amazing. But man, is it easier to worship when it's a church of one nation. Boy, is it easier to connect with people when it's a church of one nation and when you all come from the same background. Shoot, churches grow faster when it's a church of one nation. They have a fancy name for it. It's called the homogeneous unit principle. Say that five times fast. You don't have to. Homogeneous unit principle. They've proven churches grow faster if it's one group of people that all come from the same background who know that we're going in the same direction. Churches grow faster. So what does that mean for us? I mean, new community has been blessed to grow. Look at all you people here, but there's never been a point in our church where we've just exploded. That time may come. And I found myself oftentimes asking myself, where did, where did that person go? Where did that family go? Oh, oh they went back to their, their Spanish-speaking church. They, that he, he went back to the Chinese church that he grew up in. Oh, she went back to her white suburban church. What do I do with that? Oh, they left? Was it, was it the church? Did they not like the church? What do we make of that? Where does that leave us? If we're to be a multicultural church like the first century church, we need to be real and upfront with the fact that living in diverse community is hard. It is hard. Somebody say amen. 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 It's hard. In our community groups, we need to be intentional. We need to ask the hard questions. We need to get past that awkward social stage that everybody has all the time, except maybe Dexter. Uh, (laughs) But uh, everybody has that awkward social stage. In a church like ours, that stage lasts longer. Are we ready to deal with that? Are we ready to embrace things like the diversity curriculum that the diversity team has worked so hard on? Are we willing to go to things like this diversity panel on August 12th? It's hard. It's not like a normal church. 
We need to appoint leaders of different races. And we need to realize it's not political affirmative action. It's missional affirmative action. Amen? Today is diversity day. Today is diversity day. And that's what we need to wrestle with in our diverse church. We have one more snapshot to look at. We're going to the future. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Snapshot number six, the glorious multicultural eternity. Turn to Revelations, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. This is a glimpse into heaven. It's a glimpse into the heart of God, a glimpse into the design of God the Father in the death of his son. It says this, and they sang, who's singing? It's the elders and these beautiful creatures in heaven are singing. You, this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, you are worthy to take the the scroll and open its seals. And that scroll, this is the book of all history. The seals come off and the end times unfold. Jesus is the only one worthy to do this. Why? Why is he the only one worthy to do this? You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you see up there the word people, I've got it in brackets there. If you have that in your Bible and you have your Bible open, you can just scratch that word out because it's not there in the Greek. Uh, They put that in the translation, and uh, it messes us up just a little bit because it takes the focus away from what the focus really is here in this passage, and that's tribes, nations, every tongue. The literal translation is, you purchased for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. The the focus is not that, that... He's buying people, and that's great. The focus, though, is that he buys from every people. From every people he buys. Jesus died, and there was a design in his death. Jesus paid an infinite price. What he bought was every nation. Every nation. Infinite price, every tribe. Infinite price, every language. Infinite price, every nation. Let me state it more plainly. Ethnic diversity costs God everything. Ethnic diversity costs God everything. There is no higher cost than the perfect life of the Almighty Son of God. Why? Why did God do this? It says in verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Why did God do this? So that we might be a kingdom of price to do what? To serve our God. God purchased from every nation so that people from every nation could serve our God. Can you picture this? People of different nations and languages, races coming together to serve the one God. That's why we were purchased And two chapters later in Revelation, we have to wait. We finally get there and we finally hear the voice of this big group of people from every nation and every tongue. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, 
nation, and people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and this is what they said. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why did God pay an infinite price for every tribe, every language, and every nation? So that God would be worshipped. Infinite price, every nation, for worship. Infinite price, every nation, for worship. We've come a long way in our journey this morning. From when God divided the entire earth, when people sought to glorify themselves, instead God divided them. They were worshiping themselves, and now we're back to worship again. Now, instead of false worship, we get every nation brought back together for true worship. For true worship. That's what it means to be a church of the nations. For new community, today and every day is diversity day. And that's hard. It's hard to worship in a multicultural community. Believe me, I know. I've led worship in this church for six years now. And I've had to deal with those difficulties right up front. Hard conversations, lots of tears shed. White folks, I know that it's hard for you to sing a song like Praise is What I Do. It's hard for us to sing the words, no, my circumstance doesn't even stand a chance because most white people will never know the circumstances of minority hardships and oppression. When most white Americans sing, I am hungry, they're not singing about their empty stomachs. They're singing about spiritual hunger. But the same isn't true in the third world countries or even poverty-stricken parts of this own, our own country. My black brothers and sisters, I know it's hard for you to sing a song like Make a Joyful Noise because singing about rivers and fields and forests doesn't resonate with most African Americans. I know that it can be distracting and strange to hear men and women of different races singing the gospel songs that you love and you hear on the radio. Why does that sound different? Why did he do that? Why did she do it that way? It's hard. It's hard. Asians, first of all, I I know that it's hard to continually be identified as this one big pan-Asian group as if your own national identity didn't mean anything. And it does. It does. And I know that the traditions that you come from Worship is led differently. We may be singing some of the same songs, but they're led completely differently. It's hard. Hispanics, my brothers and sisters, I know that for many of you, your heart language is not English. It may seem like we never sing songs in other languages. It may seem like mornings like this morning come by far, not, not often enough. It's hard. It's hard when we don't sing in the language that resonates with our souls. It's hard for all of us. But isn't it beautiful when we sing these songs together? When we get a glimpse, a bigger glimpse, I think, of what God looks like, of who God is. Amen. Amen. 
We've said at New Community often that during the course of worship on a Sunday morning, you should feel both comfortable and uncomfortable. There's a tension there that we need to live in at a church like this. If we're to worship and celebrate as a church of the nations, but in that tension, there's beauty. In that tension, there's celebration. So white folks, are you willing to worship to a song like I Almost Let Go that testifies about God's mercy in the midst of hardship? Something we don't often hear in the songs from our own worship backgrounds. Black men and women, are you willing to worship to songs that use only two chords and use an acoustic guitar? Are you willing to hang in there or better yet, help us out as we desperately try to find somebody that's African-American that could lead worship for us. Are you willing to hang in there? Help us out, please. English speakers, are you willing to stretch beyond your comfort zone and sing in other languages like we did today? Spanish speakers, are you willing to make, to to take this path and, and follow the path of being in a church where your heart language isn't spoke all the time? We need to work at it. We need to try For those of you who don't know gospel music, listen to AM 1390. They play the same popular gospel songs over and over and over again. And it's good. It's a good station. For those of you who don't hear much Spanish worship music, go over to Pandavita over on Armitage and just ask, say, what is hot right now? And they'll give you a Spanish worship CD, buy it, and you'll love it. It's great stuff. It might not be easy at first. Listen to it five times. And all of a sudden you'll be like, hey, I recognize that, okay, I can sing with it. I don't know what I'm singing. Then you can sit down with Evelyn and she can say, oh, this is what that means. All right? For those of you who, uh, who don't know many of these acoustic-driven guitar songs, go on iTunes and buy a Chris Tomlin CD. We sang two of his songs this morning, if you didn't know it. It's like half the, half the acoustic songs that we do. Chris Tomlin, Chris Tomlin. You got that name? Chris Tomlin. We can be active about making diversity work in our church. We have to be active about making diversity work in our church. We've seen where God is moving us. We've caught a glimpse of the glorious multicultural eternity. And I know what some of you are thinking. You say, wait a minute. Uh, why can't we just wait we, we see that this is coming in the future. We see that this, this future of all nations coming together, it's happening. God is going to make it happen. Whether we do it or not, God's going to make it happen. Why can't we just wait? Why do we have to deal with all this hard stuff now? And I want to conclude with this. Um, and uh, it gets into some of this racial reconciliation stuff. And, and the voice that you're going to hear in a moment here is... Uh, me reading the words of Martin Luther King, who was a voice for ending segregation. He was a voice for bringing the nations together. Good Friday, 1963, Martin Luther King led a nonviolent demonstration against segregation in the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. It was a town where segregation was the practiced law, and the sheriff, Bull Connor awaited the protesters who were attacked by his dogs, pummeled with force by the fire hoses, and beaten by his police. King was arrested, as he knew he would be. And while he was in jail, he received a letter 
from a group of Christian and Jewish clergymen who said, why couldn't you just wait? Why couldn't you just wait? Why did you have to do it the hard way? Why did you have to do it now? Hear these words as we close. Martin Luther King responding from the Birmingham jail to these pastors. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children. And see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky. And see her beginning to distort her personality and develop an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to connect When you have to, I can't see you, I'm tearing up, (laughs) sorry. When you have to answer your five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you when you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes nigger and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given the respect title Mrs., when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are Negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with the inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a denigrating sense of nobodiness, then will, you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, that you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatient impatience, our unwillingness to wait. We've come a long way since then. Diversity is about worship. Diversity is about community. Diversity is about what happens in our society and praise God We know where we're going. Praise God, we have Revelation 5 and we have Revelation 7. That we can look at this beautiful multicultural attorney and say that's where we're going. All nations paid for by the infinite price of the Son of God. The church is not called to be static to diversity. 
The church is not called to simply wait for the end. Today is diversity day. At New Community Day, every day is diversity day. Because for us, we know that the infinite price was paid and we're not just going to sit and wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit and now we see why. We see why that when the church started, you gave us that gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, God, because we can't do it on our own. We can't do diversity on our own. Your mission is multicultural. This church strives to be multicultural. God, allow us, by your grace, to live into the vision of revelation. Allow us, by your grace, by your mercy, by your strength, to be a diverse community. As we worship together, as we commune together, as we live together. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we've heard wonderful truth, but hard truth today. We've experienced hardship and beauty in this worship service, and we beseech you to come as we've spoken in this corporate benediction. As we leave this place, allow your wind, your light, your fire to empower us to convict us, to cleanse us, to use us to be agents of reconciliation, to be agents of change in our lives. Use us to be salt and light, to be that scattered city on a hill that not only accepts the truth that we heard, but reveals that truth in our daily lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.